good morning, everyone. Welcome to K2. Uh, my name is, uh, thank you. My name is Mike Rutledge, and uh, I'm the director of arts and one of the teachers around here. And it's official, at least in my books, Thanksgiving is officially done now. And um, <clears throat> also, very important, Black Friday is done. And I learned that my daughter, <laughs> cheers, my daughter uh, works at the Gap in the mall. And I just learned this this year, that Black Friday actually begins on Wednesday now. I don't know if you knew that. I learned that this year. I, I guess I need to get up to speed with the rest of the world. But uh, now that that's all past, of course, Cyber Monday is coming here, and I'm sure there's something for Tuesday. Anyway, um, that's past. So in my books, it's officially okay to sing Christmas carols like we just did. It's officially okay to decorate your house and put up your Christmas tree and watch Christmas movies. And I always share this. My wife and my daughter are like crazy Christmas movie fans. They'll watch probably 40 movies of Christmas between now and Christmas. And they're all like Lifetime and, and like those ones where it's the same movie every time with different actors. It's, anyway, they love it. But it's, it's okay to watch that now. You can now uh, be officially stressed out about how you're going to manage all the, your gift buying and how you're going to get to all the people's houses and dinners and all that kind of stuff. So welcome to Christmas, everyone. But all joking aside, you know, we believe Christmas should be about the advent of Jesus Christ and the hope and the joy uh, that he brought to humanity when he, when he arrived. And um, <clears throat> just as we were led a minute ago by Jordan in the response of reading and singing that uh, beautiful Christmas carol, that we are to come and adore Christ and understand that, uh, he, that he is to be glorified and we should be living with the joy uh, because of what he brought to humanity when he arrived. So uh, I will say that in just a couple weeks, we're going to be celebrating uh, Christmas here on a Sunday morning, Christmas Eve services. And um, we have a very, very exciting day planned. I'm really looking forward to that day. Please don't miss that. And we have tickets that are free for you uh, just to give to your friends as promo and help you invite people. Uh, don't, don't miss it. I really think uh, this is going to be a great Christmas celebration this year. So join us if you would for that. Uh, and before we start, though, I'm going to invite our greeters. We're going to take uh, our offering up front. Last week, Dave York, who's the chairman of our business operations board, and Dave Nelson shared some of the reality, and you guys can go ahead and just start passing. That's, that's okay. They shared some of the reality of the, uh, the financial reality here at K2, where uh, um, giving has sort of gone reverse or backwards a little bit. And so uh, we just want to invite you to really consider how you uh, may make uh Join in helping K2, you know, meet its budget. And, and, uh, but even beyond that, I feel I'm super strong on what I believe is a very, very uh, important principle, and that's the principle of the tithe of 10%. And I'm not, I don't want you to feel bullied into that. I do believe that God offers blessing for that. And so here's the thing. We talked about this last week, and I want to celebrate something with you. I want to say thank you. Last week was off the charts in terms of the way you responded with your giving and your generosity back to God. And I'd ask that you continue consider to continue that. And if you'd like to talk more about the tithe, I would love to sit down and share that with you, what I believe God offers through that. And uh, again, I don't want to go there today, but I just want to say thank you and what an awesome response it was to see. So thank you for that. Uh, we're in a new series today. 
Actually, last week we started, Dave, uh, it's called, Dave taught, uh, it's called Game On, and Dave taught uh, from the last half of Romans chapter 7, where he talked about the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde experiences that we live, right? I want to do this, but I don't, and I don't want to do this, but I do, and how we live in that sort of seesaw of emotion spiritually in our own uh, failure script that we have when we don't do the things that we want to do. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 8, the first, first few verses of chapter 8 today. But before we do, I always tell people this. It's really important. When you're reading the scripture, when you're reading the Bible, um, it's so valuable to understand the context, who it's written to, when it's written, what was it actually written for. And when you understand those things, it really makes a big difference. So I want to share with you a little bit of the background of Romans. And uh, what you need to understand, first of all, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to Jews and Gentiles. And just Gentiles, basically, when, when you see the word Gentile in the Bible, that just means not Jewish, right? So anyone that was not Jewish... Paul wrote to Jews and Gentiles who had converted to the Christian faith. They probably uh, had converted on Paul's missionary trips that he had taken previous to this time, Macedonia and Greece and Asia, and had migrated to Rome around 57 AD. And that's where the church of Rome started. Now, what, what's really interesting is at this time, uh, you know, America's got a couple hundred years of history, and that's about it, right? Rome at this point was considered the greatest city in the world. It had an 800-year history already and was going to go on for hundreds more. And uh, they had about a million inhabitants, uh, are the conservative estimates. That's about the size of San Jose, the center of uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, some estimates go as high as 4 million people, which is larger than Los Angeles. So you can see it was a very, very, very impressive, large, important city. It was sort of the center hub of commerce in that part of the world. Uh, they, it, also, they had, uh, if, if you know, this, this came, uh, the beginnings of the forum were in like 2980, so like 30 years earlier. Uh, the forum, which was kind of uh, Rome's center of commerce, and, and, and so many just amazing things happened there. But um, it, interestingly... From the forum, there was a road leading in every direction because they considered themselves the center of the universe, and so did the rest of the world. They had 400 temples that were dedicated to pagan worship. They had the aqueducts. They had the public baths. They had uh, the roads. All roads lead to Rome, right? And so they, they were viewed as the center of the universe. Interestingly, they had this great dichotomy of opulence, and squalor because more than half of Rome's population were slaves. And so you had huge wealth and devastating poor lifestyles living together. And uh, not only did all roads lead to Rome in Roman thought, but polytheism was the religion of choice, and they thought, yes, all roads lead to Rome, and all religions lead to God. That's sort of what was... Uh, you know, predominant in, in Roman thought. Uh, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus Christ. And it focuses, those books focus on the words of Jesus, what he said to people, what he said about people, what he said about God, and the works of Jesus, his miracles and his interactions with other people and, and what he did to, to, to uh, demonstrate how God wants us to live. Romans is interesting because it focuses 
on the significance of Jesus' sacrificial death. And that's important because his sacrificial death said, hey, just so you know, all roads may lead to Rome, but all religions do not lead to God. There's only one, and it's through Jesus Christ. And he's making a marked difference with this statement as he's sharing this. And, uh, by the way, this is a random side note. You know, in current American culture, church culture, we like to have churches with campuses. Well, Rome had so many, they, they said multitudes of Christians that lived there. There were so many living there that they were probably, you could think of them as the first church with campuses because they couldn't all meet in one place, so they met in different places around the city of Rome. So they had their campuses. That's where we got the model, I guess. Uh, but anyway, so you have, there, there's what's happening in Rome. Now let's look at the book, and it starts off in chapter 1, and it talks about how the Gentiles are guilty. Again, the Gentiles are just the non-Jewish people, and they're guilty because they pushed away the truth, it says, and they lived uh, reprehensible lives. So they, they were just self-gratifying lives. That's how they lived. And he said, so you're guilty. But then he goes on to talk about the Jews, and you can sort of think about the Jews as maybe the first, first uh, group of people who sort of thought of themselves as the white privilege kind of thing, right? Because of their culture and because of their, uh, because they believed, uh, you know, they're Judaistic, they're like, we go to heaven. And Paul says, nope, doesn't work that way. You see in Romans 3.9, he says, clearly, Jews are no better than anyone else. And then, you know, the famous passage, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is making a very clear statement. No one gets there on their own merits. Okay? And then he even goes into specific detail about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He said, even Abraham didn't get there through his works or through his culture or through his religious affiliation. Romans 4.3 says he was received into salvation through his faith in Jesus and his faith alone. And then he goes, that's in chapter 4, and then in chapter 5 and into 6, it says, well, so... What happens with all the sin? Well, when we sin, what's awesome is God's grace is greater than the sin, so his grace abounds even more than the sin. So they say, well, then maybe we should just sin a lot so there'd be a whole lot of grace. Chapter 6, no. Chapter 7, you have to fight the fight. Heck, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Chapter 7. And then he gets to chapter 8. And what we want, I want to do this morning is I want to look at chapter 8 in sort of an expository. It's what we're doing, kind of just reading through the scripture and understanding what Paul's saying. And uh, I want to understand what Romans calls, or what we're calling, the game plan. So if you want to live in victory over the Jekyll and Hyde, if you want to live in victory over trying to live the right life or whatever, if you want to live in victory over those things, Paul in chapter 8 lays out a very clear plan. And here's a spoiler alert. The plan is really simple. The Holy Spirit. Okay? You guys, go do it now. All right? Go. Thank you for being here today. Well, yeah, not quite that easy, right? And here's what I want you to understand. By the way, when you're reading the Bible and you see something is repeated, this is how you know that this is the point of chapter 8. In chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. So you know when you keep, have to keep repeating yourself. You want to make sure someone's getting it? This is particularly important when you understand in those first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit is mentioned once. So the punchline of the way to live in victory is the Holy Spirit, and he wants to make this bullet point very clear, okay? So, 
And then we get to chapter 8, and he said, the first word of chapter 8 is this, therefore. All right, Bible students, here's what you need to know. My dad taught me this growing up. Whenever you see a therefore, go back and see what the therefore is there for. In other words, what he is about to say is predicated on everything he's already said. Therefore, punchline, equal sign, whatever you want, however you want to think of that, particularly all seven chapters, but particularly the verses right at the end of chapter 7 where he says, uh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the miserable life dominated by sin and death? And how do we live the right life? Now he says, glad you asked. <laughs> all right? So he says, eight chap- eight, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, he says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior, for the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, before I get to the good news, I want to share with you the bad news. Here's the bad news. If there is no condemnation for those in Christ, guess what? There is condemnation for those who are not in Christ. Again, addressing this highly polytheistic culture, he's saying you need to understand all religions do not lead to God. Only the Christian faith, only faith in Jesus is going to lead you to God. And if you're outside of that, you live under condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is a guilty verdict, punishment, sentencing. This is really bad news if you're not in Christ. But the good news is exactly the opposite, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what is living in Christ is those living according to the Spirit. Okay? By the way, I just want a little quick side note. If you have received Jesus Christ into your life, you have the Spirit living in you. That We're told that in Scripture. And here, here's really important. If you fail at something in life, you sin, you fall into something, you don't wish, you know, that whole chapter 7 stuff, I wish, but I'm not, and I don't want to, but I am. If you fall into that, this is a really clear response to that. If you have Christ within you, there is not condemnation. Condemnation, if you're feeling that, does not come from God. You know where it comes from if you're a follower of Jesus? Satan, who is called the accuser. See, here's the, Satan's great, he's just a great plan. He temp, he's called the tempter. He tempts you. You should do this. Then you do it. He's like, oh, oh, you did it. You're terrible. And if you're having this thoughts of condemnation in your head, you need to identify where they're from. If you're a follower of Jesus, they're not from him. There is no condemnation in Christ, and that's super important. But wait, it gets worse. The news gets badder. <sighs> and better, though. This is good news. So here we go. Continue on. Verse 3 and 4 it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering so that he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's the badder news. That following the law does not save you. You see, 
he, that's why he goes into detail in chapter 4 to talk about, see, even Abraham, he, he, he didn't even, it didn't matter. He's the father of the nation of Israel. And following the law is not what got him into heaven. It was his faith, specifically his faith. And so if you are here this morning, you're thinking you can follow enough laws and regulations to get into heaven, you are living condemned. It's bad news. But here's the good news. While following the law doesn't save you, the good news is this. Following the law doesn't save you. That's really, really good news. You know why there's no condemnation in Christ? Because it's not based on your abilities and your obedience. It's based on faith. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to accept Look at this. We continue reading. It says this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Okay, let's just start with that first verse. First, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. I read this quote, and it couldn't be more accurate. It says, we are not human beings in spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings encountering human experiences. The whole realm of God and angels and all that is a spiritual thing, not a human thing. This is why our behaviors don't justify us for heaven. Only by entering into a spiritual interaction with God can we encounter the no condemnation zone. All right? But here's the baddest news of all. You're not good enough and you never will be. No matter how good you hear this all the time and talk to people, are you going to heaven? I think so. I think I'm a pretty good guy. Are you? Well, that's great. I'm glad you're a good guy, but that's not the merit. You don't earn it. You're granted it by your faith and faith alone. The goodest news is this, that Jesus is good enough for us. He says he could, he could uh, meet the righteous requirement of the law. That's what Jesus met. By living the perfect life, he came in flesh, lived the perfect life, and was offered as a sacrifice. All we have to do is accept that. And he goes on to say this. Not only is there bad news and good news, but here's the thing. You know, they say this. I, we play both kinds of music, country and western. Well, there's only two kinds of people in the world. And those two kinds of people are this. Those who have the mind of the flesh and those who have the mind of the spirit. Verse 5 says this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit 
desires. So we have the mind of the flesh, and the mind of the flesh is the mind that is seeking to gratify self. This is when, he, remember we talked about, the, at the very beginning I said he talked about the Gentiles, they've pushed away the truth, and they lived terrible lives, because all they were doing was just trying to fill every need that they had in their life, and he goes, it's not going to work. And look, this is what's really interesting, because we do this, by the way, we like to live these lives where we think if we just get enough good stuff in our life, we're going to be happy and fulfilled, we have enough money, that's going to meet all our needs. But look what he says in, in chapter 8. According to the mind of the flesh, the mind governed by the flesh is death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Let me just give you the, 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 the list of things that, that those who try and satisfy the flesh independently it says you're dead, you're hostile, you're unwilling to submit, you're actually unable to submit, you're unpleasant, defiant, powerless, and you don't belong. Who wants that? Let me see a hand, raise hands here. That's what, I'm, that's what I want. No, but the problem is we live in such a way that leads us to that, wanting the complete opposite. And then he says, well, let's look at what it means to have the mind of the Spirit, a mind set on the Spirit, or living in accordance with the guidance and the leadership of the Spirit. He says this, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Okay, let's look at that list. Peace, righteousness, hope for eternity, and life today. Life for your mortal bodies. See, the very thing we hope for is purpose, right? We want to be able to live a purposeful life. And so we try and jam all this self-gratifying stuff and nope, leads to death. And he says, no, the way you want life, you want to have purpose, yield to the spirit. He, what's interesting is when we live this life yielded to the flesh, it says you're not even able to yield to the spirit, <laughs> Let me ask you, who wants peace and righteousness and life in the, in, the, in the afterworld and life? Who wants life now? Let me see Raise your hands. See, and the way to get it is through submitting to the Spirit. So if we want to live a life that's without condemnation, simply need to live by the Spirit. Easy, right? Go do it. Uh, so the obvious question is then, how do I live a life with a mind set on the Spirit? And that's what I want to look at. And there's just two simple things I want to share with you today. The first is you have to receive the Spirit and have the Spirit living inside of you. All right? I love this uh, verse in Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. If you've been around church for any time, you probably have heard this verse. And it goes like this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Reiterating what Romans 1 through 7 and chapter 8 all say, that salvation is through faith by God's grace. You have nothing to do with it. You can't earn it. You can't live good enough. You can bring that out, Israel. There's nothing you can do except receive it. That's what you get to do. 
And I want to show you an example because if you're trying to please the Spirit but you don't have the Spirit within you, you're going to be very, very, uh, you're going to be unsuccessful. So I want to show you, it's a really simple example. Sorry, it's as deep as I get. It's a work glove. It's designed to do work. It's a nice glove, actually. You can see it's done some work. And so in order for this work glove to do work, all I do is I tell it, glove, pick up the bucket, right? But for some reason, this glove designed for work just lays there. And then I think to myself, I know what it is. It needs encouragement and inspiration. <laughs> glove, your leather, the quality of the leather in you is fantastic. Your stitching is amazing. I know you can do it. Pick up the bucket. Yet it still lays there lifeless. Then I think to myself, I, oh wait, I know what it, it needs, training or discipleship. So I say to it, okay, glove, here's what you're going to do. You're going to rise up in the air and go under the white handle, curl your fingers and thumb around it, and then lift into the air, and yet nothing still happens. Hmm. Oh, I know what it needs. You know what it needs? Community. <laughs> needs to be around other gloves. If it just had other gloves in its life, it would be able to do. So now, it's multicultural, I guess. <laughs> now I ask it to pick up the bucket, and it still stays there. It needs commitment. Needs to rededicate itself to being a glove. Right? No, I know these are silly examples, but the only way this glove can do what it's designed to do is by being filled with a living hand. And here's the problem that we have we don't want to be this, we want to be this. And that's living according to the flesh. And so, yeah, I stole the example, so. This glove can do all kinds of amazing things when we allow, if this is you, if you allow the spirit to work in and through you. Look it, I can pick up the bucket. And so if you've never received life inside of you, the spiritual life, you will never be able to please the Spirit. Second thing, though, I want to talk about, the first is you have to receive the Spirit in you. You can bring that out, too. Many of you have received the Spirit, and you're wondering to yourself, hey, why, uh, why do I feel like I'm not really living a life that's pleasing the Spirit? I want to show you this example because I think it's, and before I do, let me read this. The verse that follows, you know, um, the one that I just read where it says, it says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, right? And then it goes on to say this, for you, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You need to understand something here. Not only have you received the free gift of salvation, but he's prepared. Remember when it says he'll give you life on this earth now? He has prepared spiritual things for you to be doing 
here and now. But so often we feel like, I don't feel like I, I'm really being led by this spirit. Why is that? I did receive Christ. And when I received Christ, I had the spirit. But if the spirit's in me, well, how come I'm not living in the power? I want to show you this second example. This is really interesting. So a little cup, we'll just kind of look at it this way. You receive Christ, you have the spirit inside of you, right? That's the spirit. He's filled you up. problem is, well, we have a few problems. One, sometimes we leak. Or maybe it's like a car, you know. Eventually, your car, if you buy a new car and they give you the full tank of gas when you get it and you drive it around for a couple weeks and then you're like, man, the car will not start. I got a lemon. Well, the problem is you've used all the gas in the car and you didn't fill the tank back up. There's no power, no energy. Or a different one that's kind of interesting is, is, is we kind of like to live uh, a life where we're, we're kind of like, you know, sort of like the buffet. I want a little bit of Jesus and some other stuff. And, and so what happens is pretty interesting. When you don't have Christ, it says, oh, let me read this verse to you. It says this, don't, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead... Be filled with the Spirit. And this is really important. He's using an example of being drunk. You ever seen a drunk person? Anyone ever seen a drunk person? Right. What's in control of them? Themselves or the alcohol? Right. And so what he's saying here is, let me give you a good example. When someone's drunk, it's the alcohol controlling them, and that's how the Spirit wants to control you. Like, you can't actually do anything about it. Because the Spirit has filled you up. And this, is, this word is present. Uh, uh, forget it, I'm not even going to talk about that. Anyway, here's what I want to say. It's an ongoing process that you need to continue to find happening in your life. It's not once I receive Christ, it's an ongoing. I receive Christ, and then the Spirit comes in me, and then I go back to having the Spirit fill me on a regular basis. Because here's what happens Whatever you're filling this cup with, maybe it's, I'm envious. Uh-oh. Or uh, maybe, uh, actually, friends are good, right? But maybe I want all my friendships to be the center of my life. Maybe that's what I'm filling myself with. Or, uh-oh, now I've got an addiction in my life. That's what I'm looking to to fill me. And over time, the Holy Spirit doesn't look so great anymore. And the only thing coming out of me is what's inside of me, right? And so when he says to be filled, he's talking about an ongoing experience. And so he says, here, fill up. And look what happens when I go back to the Holy Spirit. Oh, that looks a little bit better. And I go back again. And I fill up with the Spirit. Well, that looks better. And as you notice, as I continue to fill, be filled with the Spirit, what happens to what's inside of me? It becomes pure and undefiled again. And here's what's really cool. What's coming out of me now? Remember those good works that I was created for? What's coming out of me? Stuff led by the Spirit. And so you say, okay, Mike, great example. So how do I continually be filled by the Spirit? I, I don't have any idea. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping one of you knew. 
How can I be filled with the Spirit? You know, I think sometimes we complicate things, quite honestly. It's fairly simple. If you're not spending time with God, you will not know what his word tells you to do. And so on a daily basis, just get on your knees. You want and fill yourself with that. Don't fill yourself with TV and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with TV. I love TV. It's great. But you should be filling yourself with the Spirit. Spend time seeking the Spirit. Spend time reading his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time, you know, all those things that I made fun of about the glove, they're not bad things. It's just that they don't drive my life if there's no life inside of me, right? So joining a small group, having community, accountability, those are great things, fantastic things. Spend regular time with Jesus and this, keep seeking him. And here's one that, that's really interesting. When you receive Christ, you have the spirit where? Okay. So could you ask the spirit to reveal to you what you need to know? Yeah. This regular practice in your daily, wake up in the morning, God, what do you need me to know today? Spirit, guide me. What do I need to know today? And what do I need to do? It's that simple. If the spirit is inside of you and you're seeking his leadership, you're seeking his guidance and he's what's filling you, he will direct your paths. It's very, very simple. It's not so challenging. The problem that we run into is so often we live our lives 150 miles an hour. We never stop. We don't use the clutch. We never even check what the Spirit wants. Well, good luck because you won't know. So real simple daily practices, spending time seeking the Spirit. I challenge you to do this for a week. Wake up in the morning. Ask the Spirit to guide your day. Ask the Spirit in every encounter you have, Lord, what do you want in this moment? Spirit, lead me. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? He will show up. He will guide you. And your day, your week, your month, your life will be different. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. You can clap for that. So I'm going to invite the band to come out right now. And, and um, like I said, there are two things that need to happen. And greeters, again, you guys are going to come. And I'm going to ask you right now. The greeters are going to hand out. We're going to take communion in just a minute. But just hang on. Don't take it. We're going to do this together. So during this closing song, the greeters are going to be passing out communion. Again, just hold on. Because there are two things that need to happen. One, you first need to receive Christ. And second... After receiving Christ, you need to be filled. And so I want us to just take a minute and, and just inside your own head, think, have I received Christ? Because many of you sitting here may have the answer, no. I've never actually asked Christ to be the Lord, as it says in Romans chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1, make him the Savior and the Lord. We like the Savior part. We don't love the Lord part. But ask him some of you have never actually taken the first step of asking him to be Savior and Lord of your life. Until you do that, you won't be able to follow the Spirit because you don't have the Spirit living in you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a song, and then I'm going to come back. Again, as we're doing the song, the greeters are going to be ha passing out the elements for communion. We'll do that in a minute. Just be patient. And then uh, I'll be back up in just a second.